Hey everyone, welcome to Sporting Dog Talk. I'm your host, Tony Peterson. Today's episode is brought to you by Purina. Purina was on the short list of companies that I always wanted to partner with. When we came up with this concept for this podcast a couple years ago and started getting some episodes down and started getting some traction, and I'm so glad we're working together because I've believed in pro plan sport for a long time. That's what I've always fed my dogs. It's got so much good stuff in it from the protein content, the fat content, vitamins and minerals, all kinds of good stuff to not only give them the energy they need to train, to hunt, to do whatever you're going to ask your working dog to do, but also protect them and keep them going and help them recover. Look as hard as you want at the ingredient list in there. You're going to find that every single ingredient in there has a purpose and that matters. This podcast is also brought to you by Lucky Duck. Waterfowl hunters who listen to this podcast are probably familiar with Lucky Duck just due to all the different duck decoys they make. They also make the Lucky Kennel now, and their intermediate is an awesome choice for anyone running a working dog. These kennels are made in the USA. They hold a five-star crash test rating from the Center for Pet Safety. Stainless steel components, non-slip rubber feet, powder-coated tie-downs, all kinds of good stuff in a lightweight, bomb-proof package. If you're interested in a crate that's going to keep your dog safe, go to LuckyDuck.com and check these things out. And if you decide it's time to break out the credit card and buy one, before you do that, punch in Lucky20, L-U-C-K-Y 20, and they're going to throw in a $100 kennel pad for any crate that you buy. Such an awesome deal. My guest today on this podcast is a woman named Kristen Best. We had her husband on, Rody Best, a little a little earlier, awesome information in his podcast, but he brought up some stuff that his wife brought to the table in training that was so interesting. I told him not to talk about it. I said, we're going to get her on. Well, we've got her on, and she brings a lot to the table. If you're working a puppy, if you're interested in a puppy... If you're interested in getting the most out of your dog, even if it's seven weeks old or seven years old, if it's a GSP, if it's a lab, if it's a shelter dog, it doesn't matter. Her advice is incredible. This is one of the most informative and interesting guests we've ever had on. So I think you're going to love it. As always, thank you so much for listening. We have amazing listeners, and I'm so happy that you guys decide to check in and listen to our podcast every week. When you have so many different options to choose from out there, it means so much that you're giving us a shot. So thank you. Come here, bear. Hunt dead, bear. Hunt dead. That dog is family do something with a dog, it, it improves your overall quality of life. But, uh... Kristen, welcome to the podcast. Hi, Tony. Thanks for inviting me. We we had to invite you. Uh, after having Rody on, your husband Rody, he brought up some stuff, uh, some philosophies and some styles that he picked up from you that just got me thinking and he, he he mentioned some things that you've really brought to the table as far as training dogs and getting the most out of them that you know I wouldn't let him talk about on that episode which we dropped a couple of weeks ago because I wanted to hear it from you because it's so interesting and it was something I've never heard and it's it's about the five languages of love and we we always associate that with people you know how do you treat people does your kid you know do they need verbal praise do they want to snuggle with you on the couch that kind of stuff but you've you've applied that to dogs and used it in your training style. 
Yes. Um, back when Rody and I first started the business up, I was um, learning side by side with him. And um, it was hard on our relationship, to be honest with you, because we're trying to start a business. We had three little boys, four, six and eight when we started. And it was just a really big adjustment. And we had to get our priorities in line. And um, someone had told me about the book for us. And it was at the same time that he was teaching me what teaching me how to train the dogs. And I started putting it together. Um, he actually knew it, but he didn't realize it, you know, and like the relationship with the dogs is building that relationship with the dogs is so important. And um, I started recognizing dogs have the same five that we do with us. Quality time is quality time with the dogs as well. Physical touch is petting. Words of affirmation is praise. Retrieves, if you have a retriever or if they just have something they're passionate about is the acts of service because we're able to provide the retrieve for them. And then the gift giving is the treat. And uh, so I started recognizing that every dog has pretty much all five, but they all kind of like we are. We're different because we're, we're not dogs, but we, at the same time, we have emotions that are, you know, similar. And so over those two weeks, I figured out, I, or when I first started doing it, I, what I've done now is, is over a two week period of the dog being here, all we do is build a relationship with them. And we flood them with all of those basically love languages to figure out which ones are the key ones that we get the most success out of the dog. And, and, and so if I'm hearing you correctly, you and your husband got three little kids at home. You're starting a business. You're working together, which is like, I just like personally, I couldn't train dogs with my wife. We would be divorced in a month, I, just, I, I think. And so you're, you're reading this book for your own personal relationship with your husband and your kids. And you're sitting here at the same time training dogs with them going, hold on. These dogs need the same thing we do, and there's something here as far as figuring out how do we connect with them in the best way possible to get them to want to work for us? Exactly. Exactly. So I started to recognize it that Rody, you know, I'd been trying to love him my way, and he'd been trying to love me his way, and they were very different. And I had to learn his way, so I had to meet him where he was. I recognized the same thing in the dogs that... I may like to do certain things with the dogs, but they may need something different from me. So I had to step back from what I wanted from the dog and I had to start looking at what was best for them. I started to recognize those were, you know, giving the treats, especially puppies, treats, petting and praise are the three, usually the three biggest ones. So you're just you're just looking at the ways to reward them. And I, I was going to ask you that about puppies, because I have to imagine, you know, if you take the acts of service type dog where you're you're talking about, a you know, a real high retrieving desire in a dog, that's not going to be developed in a seven week, eight week, 10 week old puppy. And so you got to figure out this. So this can change over time. So you're assessing a dog no matter what age it is. And you kind of know it's probably going to fall into these categories. And then by the time that dog's a teenager, that might change because the drive comes out or they, you know, they just develop into something different. Absolutely. Um, so when they first come in for puppies, typically, like I said, treats, petting and praise are the three that just, you know, we can get great eye contact from them and loose leash walking. To me, those are the two keys that we work on in those first two weeks. And then if they offer us other things, then I reward them with those treats, petting and praise. So if they offer us a sit, 
good sit and then start basically I start marking that op like taking that opportunity to uh whenever they sit I capture the moment with one of the things that they love and so in the process of that then I have them within a week they are offering me you know sits downs they're offering me you know anything that they have gotten those rewards from me for I I, I think I, I need you to clarify something or maybe maybe just kind of comment on this it's not anybody listening to this it's not revolutionary to say oh we treat trained puppies right or we praise our dogs but i think it's very easy to look at a lot of the advice out there and you know let's say you go you go get a new gsp or you get a little lab puppy and you can read all you want about treat training that puppy and know that it's going to be effective to a certain extent probably right but you're right. saying you're looking at this individual puppy going it might be treats that get the best reward out of them but it might not be it might be there might be a puppy that comes in that you know, needs praise more or just loves to snuggle up after a good little three minute training session or five minute training session. And you're reading that going, it might be treats and we all know that, but it might not. Right. Exactly. So whenever we first get a puppy in, the first thing I start working on is eye contact. So, and with dogs, Rody taught me that with dogs, you have 1.3 seconds to praise or discipline them for a behavior. So as the puppy offers me eye contact, good, treat, petting, praise. I give all three. And then I watch to see which one seems to be, I get the most reaction. Mm -hmm. And then I keep doing that until I come to the conclusion of which one is their favorite and which one, I mean, they, they like all of them usually, but, um, and then I just work off of that. I meet them where they are instead of just trying to cookie cutter train. You, when you do it the way I'm talking about doing it, we can have a dog that's a soft dog that comes in. We can have a very stubborn dog to come in. But if we invest that time in the first two weeks building that relationship with them, then even a stubborn dog is going to be way more cooperative to learn with us than a, you know, in when they don't have that. Um, and then a soft dog, you actually have to build that confidence in them. And so this is a great way to build confidence in a really soft dog. I consider soft dogs kind of what is like a thinker. So they overthink, they'll even overthink situations. A more stubborn dog is just a doer. They do things and learn from the consequences of those things. So I have to figure that out as well when they yeah. first come in. And that and that's a part of it. How do you, how do you come to the conclusion that you have exactly 1.3 seconds with a dog? How do you get that number? Um, Rody, when Rody went to school, he said that they have done studies on their brain that that you have 1.3 seconds to praise or discipline them for a behavior. If you wait any longer than that, then whatever they're doing in that time frame is now what you're praising or disciplining them for. So you, when out here, it's what we're always doing is, is it's, you know, we'll tell them sit, good, sit. Good means keep doing what you're doing. No means change your behavior. And so we're saying sit, good, sit. And then we will bring the words in like that right after they've done it. If once they break the command, no, sit, good. So, I mean, it's like back to back to back to back. That is that only with puppies, the 1.3 seconds? Does that window get a little bigger when they get older or not? They've always said that it doesn't. And I don't, I know in my experience, like when Ruddy works some of these advanced dogs, They've been patterned. So they have a very clear understanding of what is right from wrong. Um, So I think you do have a little bit more flexibility when it comes to that because they have a lot more clarity in what it is. 
But with what I do on the very beginning, I'm teaching them what it is. Rodi's conditioning what is there. So he seems to have more leeway when it comes to praising them or disciplining them because it's something that I'm really, really comfortable with. It's like second nature for them. It's that the idea of that, the 1.3 seconds, and it, you know, it ties into the, the larger problem of timing with dogs and getting them to understand, you know, why you're doing what you do after their behavior. That, that is like, such a big problem with amateur handlers because we don't see we, we don't understand that a lot of times because 1.3 seconds goes by like that and mm-hmm. so often the the praise and the correction timing is off especially in a you know in a marathon training session as opposed to a, a short one that's very targeted it's it's interesting to hear that how really a <laughs> little leeway you actually have there Absolutely. Um, you know when I was a kid we had um, a dog his name was Brownie he was a little mutt and um you know, obviously I don't know what I know now, but when he would, when we would get home, if he had gone to the bathroom on the floor, we'd get him, bring him over there, rub his nose in it, spank him, put him outside. And we started, we were like, oh, he knows because he is hiding when we get home. Well, what's really what's happening after I learned what I've learned is that he was hiding because he knew he was going to get in trouble because it was on the floor. He was not getting in trouble in his mind for the act of it. Mm-hmm. He was getting in trouble because he had gone on the floor. That's why it wasn't ending. He was he didn't learn that it was the actual going to the bathroom part because he wasn't getting caught in the action of it. Um, or like, for instance, a dog that runs off and the owner's like, they just run off and they stay longer and longer. Well, that's because when they get back, you're getting on to them when they get back. They want to come back sooner but they know they're going to get in trouble when they come back. So it's kind of one of those things, you know, and you have to separate your emotions. You know, if you're frustrated because of whatever the situation is, what's best for the dog is in those type of situations, you can't discipline them for it. You have to actually, when a dog's coming home from being gone, if it ran away, you have to praise them and pet them and love them and thank them, you know, like be thankful that they came back and show them that, so that they will come back a lot sooner. Yeah, that's uh, it, that's so common with dogs when they you know when they don't get to hunt a lot, especially, and they go out and they they get too far out, and when they do come back, when you finally get their attention, mm-hmm. uh, then they get yelled at, and they're like, "Hey, man, I'm I'm now I'm doing what you told me, and now you're yelling at me," and so they don't know how to react in that situation. I want to back up a second with with the puppy thing that you brought up. How how are you encouraging? Because we've we've heard this from several trainers on encouraging eye contact with puppies and and using that as part of the overall process to communicate with them and make sure you've got their attention when you're asking them to do something. When you when you take a seven eight week old puppy, how are you encouraging that? How do you how do you establish that? So we usually put them on a slip lead and then we'll go into a sterile environment where we basically where there's no distractions or anything like that into kind of just a quiet room. And then every time they look our direction, good treat pet. And then they'll get distracted. They'll go do their own, start to do their own thing. They come back good. And we don't actually use a word for it. We just tell them that it's good that they're looking at us and give us all that attention. And then all of a sudden they're giving you direct contact sometimes we'll take a treat we'll hold it like right in front of our face and then we move it away and then move it away we start with a treat right in front 
But but um, you're partially doing that just when they naturally look at you. Yes. Interesting. I'm not making them do anything. I'm letting them just be them. And when they happen to look my way, they get verbal praise, petting, and treats. Is in your opinion when you when you do that as opposed to holding the treat up and and kind of encouraging that behavior, are you getting? I don't know how to put this. Are you getting like a more pure connection with that behavior because of that? Yes, because it's not when I'm when I'm doing it that way, if I use a leash and I'm like kind of moving them around, or I'm trying to get their attention, trying to get them to do it. It's work. It becomes a work. It's not about the relationship. My goal is, is to get that relationship right now. The work part comes later. Mm-hmm. You know, we'll we'll get into that later. But I get such a pure, just like you said, that's the perfect word for it is like a pure look. You know, they want to look at me. They want to spend time with me. They're not just doing it specifically because they're, they have to or because I'm using something to make them. It's all genuine on them. And then we'll move from a sterile environment to a little bit more of, you know, an area where there's a little bit of something going on from a distance. And then I do the same thing, treat when they look at me. And then by the time, I mean, by within a day or two of getting them out a couple times a day for 15 minutes or so, I've almost got all of their attention whenever we've even got some of the heavier distraction going on. And this, this is something, you know, you got, you got, you're talking about a specific place you take puppies to do this, but this is something that anyone who owns a puppy could probably do in their home or their hallway or their garage or someplace the dog's comfortable used to. It's not a crazy dynamic environment. You can accomplish this in a lot of places, right? Absolutely. I really recommend that you do it at first. And, you know, if you have a family, just you and that dog go into a separate room and you guys work on that stuff and then bring it out. Don't try to do it where everybody's right there and there's a bunch of stuff going on that's distracting the dog because it's not going to, you're not going to get a hundred percent of its attention that way. So start in a sterile environment. When you feel successful in that area, when then the next session that you do with them, then you may want to take start in the sterile environment again and then transition to a little bit more of a busy environment. So you always, we always, we always, with the dog, we always take a step back. So we know that we have clarity that they understand what it is that they're supposed to be doing. And then we move forward. So it's almost like one step back and then two steps forward, because the last thing we want to do is expect too much out of them. You know, so we would rather start a little bit behind, make sure and get confident that they know what it is that that we're wanting to do and then to move forward. Mm -hmm. But it's, what's interesting is you're, you're saying you know, we, we, we've covered puppies a lot, you know, and, and, and the amount of time and the, the attention that you can give them and they're going to give you and what you really don't want to ask too much of them and make it too much work because they can't handle it. They're babies. But right. what you're saying is some of the stuff you're doing is, you know, maybe not pure training in, in the sense that we think of it, like teaching a dog to do something, but you're working with them for a positive result without them even knowing it. It's like... Uh, I mean, I think about it, it. I always think about this with kids. Like we trick our kids to do stuff all the time, so they, you know, so they have better lives. Like we, we want you to learn stuff. We don't want you to know. We want you to learn. Exactly, and that's exactly what. That's a really good way to put it. Because sometimes I even have a hard time explaining it to people because they're like, okay, well, you know, when we have our puppy program is a two week program, and in that two weeks they learn here, heal, sit down, place, 
They learn the word off, which is not to jump up on. They learn um, to be respectful. And they're like, what commands that's, you know, are you teaching them? What is more important than I'm teaching that them in that two weeks is, is how to have a trainable relationship with a person, you know, like mm-hmm. wanting to work with them. And so in those two weeks, I'm just capturing those behaviors that they're giving me that will, you know, the sits and the downs. I'm just capturing them. Good sit, good down. And then they just, it's amazing. They just start offering them. One, if your timing is right and you're consistent with what you're saying and you have a good balance of making sure that you're telling them good and praising them and then only saying no when they're doing something disrespectful, you know, and showing them cl- have clarity there, then you can get all those commands very happily and very, very like clear. Like they understand them and they're very happy to do them and they're offering them to you left and right. Even to a point to where I will not treat, pet, or praise them for some of them because I'm starting to pair the words to what it is that they're offering me. And I don't want them to just jump on the place bed if I'm trying to work on, at, at near the end of the two weeks, work on sit or something like that. I won't treat them on the place bed anymore. Now I only treat them when they sit. If that makes sense, you can and you can consistently get puppies to understand all those commands in two weeks. Very clearly, that's amazing. So, this is I kind of want to hash this out a little bit. We we've talked a lot about uh, underestimating puppies and in, in in different ways, and it's very easy to look at a puppy for a lot of us and go, it's either just not ready. Or this one's just not taking it, you know, taking the lessons very well. And it's because probably because we're not offering them the right stuff they need. Like when you, when somebody like you says, Hey, our two week program accomplishes all this consistently across puppies of all different varieties and headstrong puppies and stubborn puppies and super soft puppies, that it means you're asking them questions they can understand and asking behavior that they can deliver. Exactly. And building a building trust with them. You know, some of these puppies we get have, you know, they just either have a nervous personality to start off with, or they some of them will come from the shelter and they've had a, we have no idea what experience they've had. And so they are terrified because they don't have trust. And so you build that trust by petting treats, praise, and then they are some of the most loyal ones because they you're the only one they've ever trusted because you've proven to them that you want that relationship with them. And that's the key is showing them you want the relationship with them. It's not just about sitting and downs and here's there's so much more to that. And then they want to offer you all of those. It's a, it's a, I was thinking about this the other day. It's, it's like you have to be a really, really good coach. <laughs> Like you, dog trainers have to be a really savvy coach that knows how to take every player and work them into a system and get get a desired result. But take into account all the vastly different attributes that everybody brings and the way they learn. And dog training seems to be so similar where you have to just – you know where you're going with them, but you know the paths to get there are so – different. And and what you're saying, so many times, a lot of trainers will be like, well, this is how I get a dog to do this. This is how I get him to heal. This is how you get a dog to, you know, whoa. But you're saying 
work on this trust thing first, develop this in a way that sets the foundation or the framework for everything we're going to do later. And everything will come easier because of this. Absolutely. That is, I wish I, I I really have never been able to put it into those words like that, but that's exactly what I, that's what I want. That's what we, that's what we do. Um, And is we, it truly is about the relationship with the dog and each dog building that relationship. And as I'm working with it as a puppy, what I did with it as a puppy is now going to transition into our formal program. And then that's going to go to our, our formal fetch program. Mm -hmm. And this is with a gun dog. And then it, it just, it all, that's how it all works from that in it. And that's why, you know, our dogs stay happy. You know, we, our dogs are really happy in the field. They love doing it. They love watching us happy for them. You know, some dogs love to see us get excited for them. And then, you know, they want to work even harder because it's a team or a relation. It's a relationship that we've established. Mm-hmm. So, um, What you just said there, I, I can't remember. We covered this just a little bit in one of the most more recent episodes, but it was it. the idea was I, I read something some a male trainer had wrote about how he felt like he or he realized he wasn't praising the dog the way that he should have. He he wasn't getting excited and really playing into the dog's emotions a little bit and going, you're doing an awesome job, buddy. It was kind of like, you know, your stuff, we're going to work and it doesn't impress me that you do what I ask. And kind of what you're talking about is like, Hey, I'm going to be impressed every day. If you, if you learn to trust me, dog, and we work together, I will give you this emotion and I will give you this sort of excited level that they feed off of and just create an environment you want to work in. Exactly. And, um, one of the biggest things is, is like, if, as long as they show me effort, they may not. And and this is, you know, I'm, I'm not about having a perfect dog. I'm about having a dog that wants to work with me um, and show me effort. And as long as you're showing me effort, I'm going to give you the benefit of the doubt every time on whatever it is that we're working on. You're, we don't teach anything with pressure. We don't we don't teach it with pressure. So and what I mean by that is, is everything is off of the quote love languages. And then we have it all taught on a positive note. The only thing that they may get in trouble for is disrespect during that process. If they jump on us or, you know, bite at us or whatever, um, that's got to be clear that that's disrespectful. But then what we do is, is once we've taught the command, and this is when you get into more of the formal obedience, but it, it comes right off of the puppy and tell them to sit. And then we do not use anything to besides the treats, petting and praise to sit. So you sit. And then if they break the sit, then we're like, no, basically no means change your behavior. Mm -hmm. And then we say sit again. And if they choose not to sit, then we'll use a leash correction as, but we do not use a leash correction at all to teach the sit. We will teach it. And then we will use a leash correction if they completely avoid and don't give us any effort on something we already know they know very well. When you're, when you're talking about that, where, you know, okay, this dog knows this command and it's, it's absolutely disobeying me here. How much, how much does it play in with them having your, you having their attention? Cause I, I keep thinking about this with puppies. Like, and you mentioned this earlier and we talked about it where, you know, the eye contact thing and like knowing 
you know, if you have an eight week old puppy and it's not paying attention to you, you, it doesn't matter what you say. And so how, how much does that play in where you go, okay, I've, I've asked this, but did I ask this to a dog that was paying attention or not? So when at the point that I'm starting to teach that stuff, I've got eye contact and down, they are paying attention to me. So when I give the commands, we already have that eye contact. So there's not any opportunity of avoidance, if that makes any sense. So dogs use avoidance behaviors a lot. And I've learned that's a that's a, a really uh, neat thing when you start to recognize, like even if it's peeing on the grass every time you give a command or, and you, you know, or sniffing the grass, sniffing the ground, you tell them to sit and they're like, hold on a second. You know, I smell something over here. First time, okay, maybe you do, but we're working on this command. Then I say it again and they start sniffing again. That's when I begin to realize that it's actually been, it has become an avoidance behavior because sniffing the ground is an okay thing. In most cases, they will use it to get out of actually doing the command itself. So sniffing the ground is one of them, uh, obviously looking away, um, turning their entire body the opposite direction and pretending like they can't hear you, the male dogs peeing on stuff. Um, so we call those all avoidance behaviors. So we, we always take note when we see those things to see if it's a pattern or if it's just a genuine reason. I mean, you know, it could just be genuine, but yeah. it usually is not. <laughs> yeah. It could be just a distraction out there of something that does smell really mm-hmm. wonderful to them. Um, yes. So let me ask you this about distractions then, or, or that, that behavior. So my lab, we do a lot of water work this time of year, you know, it's hot and we're up, we're at the lake and I throw the dummy in and, she started to, when she'd come back, you know, she jumps off the dock, retrieves a dummy, comes back. She's supposed to heal, but she'll take like a little victory lap now. And then she'll come back. Or if I raise my voice, then she'll turn and come back and sit. But it's like, all of a sudden, she just decided she can just do a little sprint around. And and is it, but what what I want to ask with that is she loves nothing more than when I throw that dummy, but I'm also making her you know, sit, stay, shake, you know, shake off and then retrieve. So is she avoiding the little work part built into there? Yeah, absolutely. Hmm. Especially if you're seeing that it's escalate, you know, it's escalated to where she, we call that a little bit of a party. So she's kind of having a little party. Um, She's keeping it. She, she loves, if she loves the retrieve, she's going out there and getting it. And then she's coming back slowly or she's getting herself preoccupied, not coming back. That's exactly what she's doing. Damn. <laughs> I, I, it's so funny that you, you call it that because I was like, I, I was talking to one of my buddies about this. I was like, Luna just decided to celebrate at the end of a retrieve now and I don't get it. And now I get it. And she's just going, I'm just going to drag this out a little bit, boss, and you've let it go. So I'm going to have to work on that, I guess, huh? Yeah. And, and what's going to be interesting is I will be interested to hear if, so once you start working on that, let's see if she tries to bring something else into into place. So when you take that party away, is she going to suddenly, you know, walk slower back to you or it, she's going to change it up so that she still has that control of the the bumper for the same amount of time? Is she going to do that or is she just going to you'll I'm, I can almost bet you that you're going to see that she's going to try to pull something that you haven't seen before. She's like, going, why is she doing that now? Well, you took the party away. Uh-huh. So now she's coming up with something else. And you just have to work through those things and yep. stay patient 
work through them, stay consistent, and then they'll all work themselves out. And then every now and then you might see a glimpse of them, but she knows you know them now. And so she's not going to, it won't last long. I love this because it's so easy. I, I would never have probably truly acknowledged that little behavior and, and understood what you're saying. Like I, that would have never have occurred to me. You know, I'm not a dog trainer. And now that I I know that I, I had attributed it to, so I, I taught her because I hate it when a dog shakes on me, especially when I'm duck hunting. And so I had taught her to shake by command. I, you know, I, I say shake and I wave my hand. And so what a typical sort of sequence goes, you know, I, I have her heel, she stays, I throw it, I send her whenever I want. She goes and gets it. Then she comes back. She does that little maneuver. And then I'm getting her back to heel. She sits while she's soaking wet and dripping. And I'm, I'm, I'm asking her not to do that very natural behavior of shaking off. And then, you know, she hands me the dummy. I take the dummy and then I tell her to shake when I move away. So nobody gets wet. And I, I was just like, she, maybe she's, I, I don't think she likes that command. You know what I mean? Like, I think she, when she gets out, she's like, I want to shake, dude, like get away. I'm just, I'm going to do it, but I don't want her to do that because, you know, I don't care when it's 80 degrees out and, you know, we're standing in the sun, but when I'm in a duck blind, I hate it. I want, I want, I don't want to get wet and I don't want to get the people I'm with wet. And, uh, you know, part of it actually started because I carry a camera a lot and then my camera would get all wet. But I always just assumed she was avoiding that, but it really doesn't matter what she's avoiding, does it? No, it doesn't matter what she, it's, it's that she's avoiding doing what she's being told to do. She's supposed to come straight to your side and heal. She knows that. So she's gradually made it where she has a little bit more party time without you recognizing it. It's more subtle. Mm-hmm. And people, you know, it took me. I mean, I, I honestly just figured this part out over the probably the last three or four years of training other trainers. And while I'm training other trainers, I'm watching from a different perspective. And so I'm watching and I'm seeing these patterns of this dog sniffs the ground constantly. And it's only when I'm doing this or, or whatever the situation is. And I started saying, okay, let's start. Let's, I'm just going to test it and see. And sure enough, it, it, but what it does is it typically escalates into something different because now they've lost that control of being able to keep it or do whatever it is they want to do as long as they want. And so you'll see they pull out, I call it their toolbox of avoidance behaviors. So they'll pull another avoidance behavior out and see if you recognize it. Once they know you recognize it, they'll put it aside, maybe pull another one out. Some dogs have huge toolboxes. Some dogs just have a couple tools. So. Well, what about, I mean, how early do you see these avoidance behaviors? Do you see it in little tiny puppies? I see it in litters before they even go home at seven weeks old. How, how do you recognize that? Um, so I will do some, I'm so fascinated with the behavioral side of, of dog training. I'll get, we'll have a litter of 10 puppies and I'll go in there with treats and I'm only going to treat the ones that are offering me a respectful behavior. So they'll all be there jumping up, trying to get, you know, a treat from me and I will treat the one that's sitting back. And then I watch to see which ones are paying attention. And then within 10 minutes, I can have all of them sitting there. And then I teach them how to be respectful and not take the treats from each other as well. Um, But I can see when they figure out that I'm actually in charge, some of them, not all of them, some of them are great about it, but some of them recognize that I'm kind of taking, kind of coming in charge. They will 
walk away or they'll stay busy and do something else. Mm-hmm. Um, they'll give up. They're like, yeah, I'm not going to do that, you know, because I can tell she wants me to do that. So you see puppies, these are, these are puppies in a litter that are, you know, under seven weeks old and you can, you can go in there with a handful of kibble or treats and you can pick one that's not being, you know, a crazy monster and sitting back a little bit and you can reward that puppy with a treat and the other puppies watch that and they'll, they'll mimic that behavior. I can't. I feel like there is a little tiny bit of that because they're what they're doing is they're watching me treat that same puppy, that puppy. I'm going to chain treat it. So I'm going to treat it, treat it, treat it, treat it. And they're like, why am I? And then they may just sit down because they're not understanding. And then I treat them. And then, you know, so it's kind of a, it, it kind of escalates from that. So I honestly can't say that I know for a fact that they're actually seeing, okay, this puppy is sitting, but they're watching that puppy get, treat after treat after treat and they're trying to figure out why is that one getting it and they sit down mm-hmm. or they quit jumping sometimes i'll do it where it's not even a sit it's even just a who's not jumping you're going to get a treat if you're not jumping and then it escalates into sits that's interesting there i mean there has to be there has to be some kind of evolutionary thing going on there um, where you know you sit back if you're not getting what you want figure out why so you can get it. I mean, I know, I know it's, that sounds really simple, but it's amazing to apply to baby little puppies and that they can, mm-hmm. they can un, even if they don't understand why they're doing what they're doing, it doesn't matter if the behavior comes. Right. Once the behavior comes and I treat them, I try to catch it in that 1.3 seconds and I treat them. Now, I think that at, at that point, they're now sitting for me, just like the other one's sitting. And then the other ones follow suit. And, um, not follow suit because I really, I don't think it's because they see, oh, that dog's, that one's sitting. So I'm going to sit. I think it's, I don't know why they're getting the treat. And so they sit Mm -hmm. and then I treat and then they're like, Ooh, it's not so much of what the other ones are doing as much as, Oh, I just did this and I got a treat. So now they'll do it for you. Do you, maybe this is way, way off here, but when you, when you talk about this, it reminds me of times I've watched like packs of coyotes hunt in the wild when I've been in, you know, especially if you're in the Dakotas or somewhere where you can see and observe and you spend all day turkey hunting or deer hunting once, once in a great while you get this gift where you get to watch a little pack of coyotes do their thing and work some deer, work some mule deer. And you see this observation behavior where sometimes you'll just look and there's just one sitting down watching, just like, just paying attention to everything that's going on and just taking it all in. You can see them. They're just, they're waiting for something to happen or they're, they're, they're watching for a result or something. Cause there'll be other coyotes working these deer and it's an amazing thing to see. So it must be like a gene deep behavior to, to reap a reward out of their environment. And, you know, that's really cool because I've never been in that type of a setting before where I've been able to watch anything like that. But that is what you described that you've seen in those situations is what I see in these situations without, having the, you know, comparison. Um, it, I don't know what they're thinking. I don't know what they're fig- figuring out so much, but you can see their wheels are turning and they're watching and processing something. Yep. So, well, it's what, cool. what I'd like to know. I've never, I've seen this twice, I should say. So I, I've seen coyotes chase deer and stuff random times, but two times I've watched once was on mule deer and once was on whitetails. Packs of coyotes set up a drive. 
or try to drive deer to like standers and coyotes sitting there watching. When you watch the coordination there, it's incredible. And I've never, you know, I'm sure you could find this somewhere. There's probably uh, coyotes and wolves that'll stash a litter of young pups somewhere on a vantage point, go into this wooded draw or something and work their thing. And and those pups are probably know to watch that and learn some hunting behavior off of that. Yeah. You know, I, I, I have a lot of times we'll have clients that'll say, you know, that the dog learns from their other dog. And I, and I feel like there is some stuff that they can learn from them, but I think there's also a lot of stuff that is completely different and it's not like us humans, you know, I mean, we're obviously different. And, but we will have clients that'll say, oh yeah, I just have my dog teach my new dog these things. Well, I, some of it, I do believe that there's a lot of it that I don't, I don't think it really actually, I, I don't. So it'd be really interesting to see some of the stuff you're saying, you know, cause it would, I love the behavioral side of it. And I mean, it would be neat to see if they have research on stuff like that. I'm sure there is. Yeah. Well, I know we've kind of gone on the out into the weeds on this one, but it makes me what you just said there, because I'm the same way, you know, people will say, oh, I, I hunt my puppy with my old dog and my old dog teaches them. And mm-hmm. I've watched my dog with lots of puppies and she's not teaching anything. She does not care. She does it. She would prefer they weren't there. And so it, it makes me wonder you know, this 40, 50,000 years of coevolution we have going on, if dogs are, like domestic dogs, are more in tune with learning from us than other dogs. And you take wild canines and go, well, they're not learning from us. They only have one choice if they want to learn from anybody, and it's going to be other canines. So there might be a a divergence there that somebody who's a hell of a lot smarter than me could <laughs> could comment on. Maybe Maybe we'll try to find somebody on that. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. That would be really cool because I'd love to know more about that and, and someone else's perspective on that Yeah, so as well. Somebody's out there studying it, whether they'll come on this podcast or not. We'll, we'll, we'll find out. Sometimes that's Maybe a yes. Maybe we'll find them. <laughs> sometimes it's a yes. Sometimes it's a no. Um, one of the things I want, I want to back up the, the love language thing. Do you, so when, when I had talked to you and, and when, when Rody had brought this up, I was thinking, Okay, my dog, if if we're laying on the couch, she's gotten like really, really into snuggling up and getting petted at home. She she likes it. She wasn't that way when she was a puppy as much. You know, not like, you know, my, my last dog before this was a golden. And she was like, yes, yes, please. Two scoops. Every time you touch me is amazing. Mm-hmm. My lab, no, n- not that way. But she's kind of got there, but not if there's any chance of working or hunting. And, and so like when I take new people hunting, what I mean by that is if we go out hunting with my dog, you can't pet her. She's not coming over f- for that at all. She's like, uh-uh, my my thing is out here. And so that, that reward system that she's kind of seemed to develop at home and maybe would a little bit in training just goes right out the window when we're actually in the field. That's because retrieving is her highest love language. Okay. Yeah. That, so- well, that story checks out, believe me. <laughs> so she's that's you're rewarding her every time she's obedient next to your side while you're hunting by giving her the retreat as long as you're a good shot <laughs> <laughs> and uh but then at home you're in a different scenario you're in a different situation and so those like I said they have all they have all five just like people have all five love languages just some are stronger than others so in different scenarios you're going to get different situations so she loves to be loved on but not 
when it's time to work because that's really what she loves to do. Mm-hmm. Serious about her her job, and she wants that reward, that retrieve. So it's it's important to recognize uh, that there's like it, there's so many different ways to do this. And not only is it individual to the dog at any given stage of their life, it's individual to the task at hand, perhaps. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yes. <laughs> Some, sometimes we have guests on who offer us so much good stuff that it, I, I'm, I worry. I'm like, is this going to be overwhelming <laughs> to the person sitting at home with the lab? But it or, you know, whatever puppy. But it makes so much sense. You know, and that's, you know, I haven't opened up and really honestly shared a whole lot with anybody because I like, just like you said, there is so much, but if you can, if, and over time I've gained a lot of confidence in this because I, this is a test run. I mean, to, to an extent, because I took something that I was reading a book about my marriage, recognized it in my kids. And then as I was just working the dogs, I was just like, you know, they have similar ones too. And I said, I'm going to try this. And I started doing it and it's just been over well, the love languages has probably been over the last eight, 10 years that I've been kind of, but then the whole avoidance behaviors has been a little bit sooner, but um, I want to make sure that what I was really seeing was really successful. And, you know, cause I finish, I take their foundation work and then I hand them to another trainer, whether it's Rody or Luke or Trey or Taylor, because they do the field work. So I do the foundation work and transition them to, the field. And so they take it from there and they apply the same stuff and you can, it is working and it's successful. <laughs> and so it's really, really cool to be able to see that. So I'm a little bit more confident about actually sharing now Well, because you, you, I always want that's best for the dogs, honestly. And I don't want to give information that could do anything to, you know, hurt the dogs. So I want to make sure I knew what I was talking about. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's, I love that for a couple of reasons. It, when we get, we've, we've had a lot of women on this podcast and, you know, obviously a lot of guy trainers too. And, and it's just the difference in philosophy. It seems like a good husband and wife, good man and woman team really comes at this a different way. And there's this hybridization that goes on with philosophies that brings out amazing dogs. And it's, it's just, you know, like when you're, when you're talking about, you know, I, I had this idea, but it took me eight or 10 years to have the confidence to make sure I should share it. I, like If I came up with that idea, I'd be writing articles about it in like three weeks and I just <laughs> unleash it on the world without any, any, not paying attention to the consequences. And you're sitting here going, I'm going to make sure this is right for the dogs. I, I love that. Um, I wanted to, I wanted to ask you um, way back because I, I, I want, I want to keep on the the puppy thing a little bit because some of you, some of those things you're bringing up are so interesting. My brother in law has a little yellow lab puppy. She's probably, I guess, nine weeks somewhere in there. Just just brought her home a little go a little bit ago, and he's just gung ho to have a good dog. It, it, this is the first well bred dog he's ever had in his life. Good pedigree, and she's got a lot of a lot of potential. And he's running into this issue. He's got little boys. He's got a wife. He's he's up north a lot at the lake with a bunch of other people. And everywhere he goes, he told me about this the other day. He's like, I go to take Lenny, this is the puppy's name, out to train somewhere. And immediately we draw a crowd because it's a little adorable yellow lab puppy. And he's like, the, the wheels just fall off the lesson instantly. And that dog just gets loved up. 
Do you have some advice? Like that's something you don't think about because everybody loves to show off their puppy, but if it's eaten into this this kind of formative period where you could really bond and train, it's not good. Um, if it's not happening on a constant basis, you know, and he's having opportunity to build that relationship with them, it's good for the puppy to get the socialization. Um, a lot of times what I always tell people is just try to not allow disrespectful behavior. So try to tell people who are coming over not to let that puppy get away with disrespectful behaviors. The rest of the stuff will fall into place. Mm -hmm. But if the puppy thinks that it can be disrespectful to others and not him, then it can cause a little bit of issues. So like I always tell them, you know, four on the floor, only pet puppies whenever their feet are on the floor, if they start to jump up, you know, don't give them any attention for that. And then as soon as our feet are back on the floor, if it's two seconds later, reach down and pet them because it's the 1.3 seconds type thing. But it is hard when you're out in those type of a situation because a lot of those people are like, oh, it's okay. They're jumping on me. It's okay. No, it's not. Mm -hmm. It's not okay. It's not okay. They're being disrespectful. Um, so it's kind of a hard deal. I don't think that it's going to be like hugely impacting because we have puppies that come in at six months old that have ruled everything <laughs> and even with that we can get that relationship established with that puppy um we may hit some other bumps in the road than we would another type of puppy but then we help we spend a lot of time with the owners learning how to build that relationship just like we did with them too so did i answer that about right is that what yeah you no asking? absolutely yeah okay. i mean i i had just told him like listen, dude, you got to set some boundaries and kind of be a prick, but you got to, you got to tell other people, this is how this is going to go. And maybe put a little time limit on it when people come up and be like, Hey, this is, this is five minutes. And then we're going, I got to take her and go do my own thing. But I basically told him, I'm like, just, just get away and work with her. Right. You know, it's only a couple minutes at a time. And I'm trying to get him to do all the little lessons in the house that you can, you can go through with steadiness and all kinds of stuff where you're just not in that environment where people are going to run up and potentially be loving up on the dog and sending mixed signals. Um, your answer there reminded me of something I was going to ask you. I'm glad you brought this up. When you were, when you were talking about the, the two weeks of puppy training and establishing that trust and the eye contact and the love language and giving them everything they need and, and just really building that framework of we're, we're in this together and we're going to do this long-term that not only works for you, as the person who set it up, but you can hand that puppy off and that behavior sticks. Is, it, is that what you were saying? So it goes back to relational. So once they've gone through the puppy program, they love learning. Like they want to learn. They are wanting to offer us stuff. So when the owner takes them, the owner, we teach them, we spend about an hour with the owners showing them how we got to where we got to and what the weaknesses in their puppy and what the strengths are too. And say, you know, hey, we are expecting you to have some issues in this area because none of them are perfect. Mm -hmm. And then um, tell them how to work through those issues. And then they take them home. Now, what they do once they go home with them, if they're like, oh, you know, you've been gone for two weeks, I'm just gonna let you do whatever you want to the first night home. Well, now the bar is set a completely opposite of what we just worked through for the last two weeks so you're actually they're always learning the puppies are always learning so now the puppies learned that at home I act this way at best retrievers I act this way 
Um, I always use the comparison. You know, we use a lot of human comparisons because with our clients, because that's how they think. Um, is, you know, when you're a kid and you're in high school and you've got the one teacher that wouldn't let you chew gum at all, I mean, you get severely punished. And then you've got the one that, or let's say your phone these days, but you, you know, you have the ones that will let you chew gum. You know, you're going to chew gum if you can chew gum. You know, you're going to, and when it comes to the relationship you have with that teacher, you're going to take advantage of the opportunities to do what that teacher allows you to do, whether it's good or bad, you know, you're going to take advantage of those situations just like they are. Mm -hmm. So they go home, they know the commands and they love learning, but if that owner lets them get away with other stuff and disrespectful stuff, then they're going to revert. They won't, they won't forget it. Yep. What they learned. Well, your so your style is I'm, I'm, I'm establishing this with this dog through these methods. You go to the owner and say, listen, you want this behavior? Here's how you have to conduct yourself. Because if you deviate from this, the dog's going to recognize this in a heartbeat and you're going to get these behaviors you don't want. If you want the results I get, here you go. That's absolutely right. <laughs> and um, and then, you know, I usually call them a couple of days later and just check in. And then they're like, well, you know, and then we walk, we'll talk through some stuff and they start working on it. Mm-hmm. Is that? What percentage of the time are you banging your head against the wall on that, on that ask? You know, in the beginning, when I first started training, I mean, when the owners would show up, I could tell really, I mean, you can always tell if it's going to actually stick or not. Um, but, and it used to really bother me because I would see their dog had so much potential and I could tell that it was all going to go out the window. You, my job is, is to, well, it's that puppy's here or that dog's here to give it the best that I can possibly give it. And what they do when they take it home, I've had to learn how to just separate that, um, do the best that I can, teach them the best that I can, and then just let it go. It used to, it used to stress me out, right? It was like, you've got to let it go or it's going to eat you alive, you know? Yeah. Yeah. That's got to be really difficult because, you know, it, it's, it seems like trainers with a lot of experience do develop that sort of dissonance or I, I don't know how you'd put it where they just go. Look, I did, I did what I do and now it's up to you and you have to, you can't be so invested in it that it's going to eat you alive because there's going to be a certain percentage of people who aren't going to stick to it. Right. Yeah. Right. Exactly. And, there, and there's nothing you can do. It's, there's it's nothing you can do. It's an interesting concept and it's it like, you know, you, you when you mentioned you, you always kind of compare this to humans or, you know, dog behavior to human behavior to get us to understand what you're talking about with these dogs and these puppies and what you ask of them and how you treat them and how you, how you get results. It's like hitting home. Cause I'm thinking about, you know, our little girls, our eight year olds have been home because whenever, when all the school got to, cut, uh, shut down over the pandemic, you know, we became homeschoolers like, like everybody across the country did who has kids pretty much. And my wife, you know, be, because she couldn't work because of this has kind of taken on that role. She would anyway, because I wouldn't have been able to teach my kids anything. Like, wait, I'm, I'm the guy who we go catch frogs and stuff. Like, she's the one that, like, raises them correctly. That's just that's just how it works. Uh, but my wife said to me one day, she's like, I cannot believe we haven't got more calls about one of our daughter's behavior because she is just wild. And it's, like, very hard to get her to learn. And the other one is like, okay, honey, if you, you need to read this chapter, you need to do this worksheet, you need to do this. And she sits down and just gets it done. The other one is like, 
hiding and you know, you know, like you want to talk about avoidance behavior. And mm-hmm. I was thinking about, I'm like, why is this? Like, why is this? And the teachers that she's had have always been like, she's amazing. And I'm like, they're better at this job than we are by a lot. So those teachers who deal with a wide variety of kindergartners and first graders and second graders go, this girl needs this. And this is how I'm asking her. And it just, and like, maybe this is a, like a simplistic version, but like two things have come out of that. I, I firmly believe that teachers deserve huge raises <laughs> and we should appreciate them a lot more because they are amazing, amazing people who do that. And the second thing is like, I n- it never had occurred to me to think about that that was going on, even though I was putting my kids on the bus and that was absolutely happening. And part of the problem was just us at home, not asking the same thing or not knowing how to ask it. It's so parallel to getting a dog to do what you need. Absolutely. And, you know, it, it, just like what you said, I mean, it's relational. So she, she's one way with the teachers because the expectations that she had, the teachers have set and the boundaries the teachers have set are different than they are at home. I watched kids for nine years before I started training dogs. So what do you um, like better? (laughs) Dogs. (laughs) I don't, I miss, I actually miss watching kids, but, um, you know, and, you know, I, I really, truly do believe that dogs think different, think differently than us in a lot of ways. I believe there's they have different senses than sick. They have a sixth sense in areas that we don't have. I mean, I see that and I would. But I but what I. I know as a human, I have been able to apply that to an, to what they are. And maybe it's just them evolving into what I am doing, but. You know, they have feelings, they have emotions, and they they work off of those things. Um, But I was going back to go back to like watching kids. I had one little girl that, you know, my house, we dropped the pacifier when she was nine months old, because that's what I believed in. And she had it for three years at home. And our mom's like, I don't know how you get rid of it. When her mom would walk out the door at my house, she'd hand me her posse. Mm -hmm. And I'd put it up. And when her mom showed back up, she'd ask to get it back down. So, you know, it was relational. It was something that she knew at my house was one way. And so I kept telling her mom, this is what you're going to have to do with her at home to get this work through. You know, she just took her three years to get there. But, you know, it is in that when it comes to relationships, that is very, very similar. You know, they make dogs think differently than humans. But when it comes to relationships, there's a lot of similarities. Well, yes. And, and what you're talking about there is the, the expectations of behavior and structure, how we, we have a very, it's very easy for us to think that puppies or toddlers don't need structure or don't, don't need expectations from us. And they actually thrive under those, they thrive under like realistic conditions where they can achieve things and they, you know, they have to do certain things. They, they, they do really well under that. And, you know, what you say about that with a pacifier example, it just reminds me when my wife was, you know, when we knew we were pregnant with twins, my wife was like, we are sleep training these kids because we're going to have two babies and there's no way around that. And And so, and I, you know, like, again, I'm like, just along for the ride. I'm like, just tell me what to do. Like, I don't, and, you know, and so our little girls were born premature and they were in the NICU for 10 days and they were around lots of alarms and sirens. And one of them had a little bit of trouble with breathing. And so there was a, a different alarm system that we dealt with. 
you know, in the, in the early, early, early days with them, first few days, first few weeks. And so they kind of learned to sleep in wild environments anyway, but it was always with her was, uh, you know, they're up now they feed and they're in bed now and they sleep and they're going to cry through it and they're going to get used to it. And they, it was like, it was like she was a miracle worker because those little babies learned to sleep when they were supposed to, and they learned to be up when they were supposed to. And at the same time we were dealing with that, I had a lot of buddies who had one baby or, you know, whatever. And they're like, up, it's up all night. I, I don't know what to do. Like, we don't know what to do. And so it was like a really kind of glaring example. Like you want your life better and you want it better for them because they need structure and they need to sleep. This is Absolutely. how you have to do it. And I like, I, I want to make it clear. Like I'm not taking any credit for that. <laughs> <laughs> that wasn't me. My kids would have never slept. It would have been a nightmare. We would all, you know, it, it would have been bad. But it's it's such an interesting way to look at things because you're right. Like they're not dogs are not people. But man, there's there's some things we can do that are awful close that you know bring us into that market. And you go, okay, now if we ask a dog this, this is just like asking a kid this. And we know we know the reaction on both ends, and we know how to get some results. Now it's just whether can we stick to this, and can we ask the right questions over and over again, and and hold ourselves to that standard. Absolutely, yeah, absolutely. When um you said something earlier, and I was gonna I was gonna uh, speak on it about. The setting um, the boundaries, expectations, dogs are patterned. So they need to know, just like kids, but, you know, they need to know this is right always. This is wrong always. And if you get that, give them that clarity, you're going to eliminate the majority of the issues that you have from that point forward. Um, we did the we did the eat, play, sleep schedule with all three of our boys. We had three boys, but they, you know, obviously weren't twins, but... You know, it was eat, play with them, put them to sleep, wake them up to eat, you know, kind of a deal. And they were all sleeping through the night by six weeks old because it's our responsibility as the leader of the home as to help them learn the right from wrong. And in, and in a way with the dogs, it's we are the leader of the pack. They need to understand. They need to respect that. And we're going to teach them the right way, you know, teach them those same those same steps. And it works. It really does. <laughs> it does. Uh, on that note, before we wrap this up, when you you and Rody are addressing your boys, especially when they're little, do you did you find yourself slipping and giving them dog commands all the time? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> does it still happen? <laughs> Uh, so not, well, they're now 18, 21 and 23. So not so much unless I intentionally throw it out there. <laughs> <laughs> but when they were but, younger, for sure. Oh, yes, for sure. That's Definitely. awesome. I, I do the same thing all the time. Uh, mm -hmm. Kristen, you're a rock star. This was so much fun. Where can people find Best Retrievers? Um, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, uh, at Best Retrievers on both of those. And then our website's bestretrievers.com. Perfect. Perfect. Thank you so much for coming on. Thank you so much for inviting me. I appreciate it. That's it for this episode of Sporting Dog Talk. Check us out on Instagram, Facebook, and our YouTube channel. And of course, if you liked what you heard on this episode, please, please, please subscribe. That helps us out so much when we get to see the support from our audience. And lastly, thanks for listening. <laughs>